using a computer analogy, if Windows is fouling up, you can't use Word, right? Word right. is on the platform of Windows. Windows has to operate correctly before you can use Word. And they were probably trying to help her out in Word and you're getting to Windows, right? That's you're a great image. Underlying operating system to work optimally. So then anything that would be built on that operating system, uh, more demanding tasks, she will thrive. I think this lady is going to do great with you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fitness Line Down podcast. And I am excited because still the new year. Um, we're a few weeks into this, and we're going to bring back a guest. And this was a fun conversation I had last year uh, in 2022 about just different things, especially the pain, pain receptors and uh, pain signals and stuff like this. So I'm I'm very, very excited to bring back a, a DVRT phenom, uh, Dan Swinsco, PT out of... Was it uh, Arizona, right? Scottsdale, Arizona. Now, yep, I've uh, I've left the uh, wet and wild of the Northwest, and now I'm in the desert. And it feels like a good decision today, probably. Oh my goodness, every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, I feel like um, one of our clients is from the uh, Seattle area, and our weather this week has been rainy and kind of cold and cloudy, and it's just it's not the Wisconsin uh, January weather that we're accustomed to. I need more snow. Need some snow. <laughs> that Lots of snow. <laughs> Lots of snow. Well, again, Dan, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule and uh, you know gracing the podcast with your presence and your wonderful voice too. You've got a good voice for radio. Oh, right on. I've got a face for radio too, but that's, that's what my mean. mom tells me all the time. <laughs> You know, so I, I, you know, just kind of a recap last time we talked, I mean, we did talk about like pain and I'm going to tell you the big thing I took away from that. Well, there was a lot of nuggets on there. I mean, that was such a great podcast episode for me personally, but it was that whole, if somebody does one rep and they experience pain, like not just to abandon the program, right? Like, mm -hmm. so find out is the next rep going to be less pain, you know, and as it goes, does the pain actually go down in regards to the intensity or is it increasing? So if it's increasing, I've had a few of those experiences since we've talked. And, you know, I will admit, I've gotten comfortable in my training that I don't panic like I might have once before when somebody's like, ooh, that hurt my back. Ooh, but I, because I feel like I have a, I, what's that? Yeah, you might think immediately stop. Exactly. Like we can't do this anymore. So I've gotten more comfortable with that. I've told them about the fact of like, well, let's do a few more, like, you know, with the intention of whatever we're doing and tell me how the pain goes. And typically the pain usually, it, it, it does decrease. I haven't had anybody where it's like, oh, it's getting worse. And I just thought that that was a great, a great nugget for any fitness professional out there is not to just abandon ship. And that's one of the things I feel like I've learned through DVRT is, and you know, myself included is, you know, working, if you have a little pain in your session, there's ways to get out of that pain, but you just have to have the knowledge to do so. Yeah, I think the key is that not to be, blind to their pain you have to get them on board with the idea so what i tell them if they tell me i'm doing that we're doing something say you know that hurts and i'll say okay is that pain like acceptable to you or should we never do that again because most of the time if it was awful they would have dropped to the ground or screamed or cried or you would have known but i want them to feel in charge and i want them to also kind of between the lines say this is a piece of information we can do something useful with because people normally mm -hmm. think I don't like pain. They want to get away from it. Well, for me, you know, that old saying, the object is the way or the, the, what is the, the obstacle is the way. Mm -hmm. So if they tell me something hurts, I'm like, okay, is that pain acceptable to you? Could we do it again if we needed to? And they're almost, if they say yes, then great. That's all I'm looking for. Because what I'm going to do is what you just said, where like, okay, let's see if we repeat it, if it gets better, it was maybe a more of a, your brain wanting you to be aware that this is kind of scary and kind of partly threatening, but intellectually, if we're asking you to do an exercise, it's, it's nothing that's not a normal human movement that anything we'd ask them to do. Right. And so it may have been your, your body trying to warn you as opposed to any harm coming to you and then you do the reps again and, and see how it goes right but the other thing is they like no it hurts the same hurts the same hurts the same so then for me as a professional i feel like that's my time to earn my keep and i'm going to try facilitation techniques i want you to think about this i want you to try this let me put a band here pull against this whatever and then try and so i'm going to exhaust all of my facilitation techniques before i say 
okay, th this is not a good exercise for you now. Or, you know, for me as a physical therapist, I might say, okay, get back on the table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And what, yeah. a, what a key word now, right? That was such a key word there is, you know, I'll, I'll admit we have a, um, a female, she's roughly my age right now. She's in a trial period with us. She's through two mm -hmm. weeks, mm -hmm. knee pain. And, you know, we'll talk about this because it's just, it seems like that's been a topic that's been coming up lately in the gym. People coming in and talk about knee pain. Mm -hmm. And we did the, uh, the miraculous DVRT press out squats and her yep. squats are immaculate. I mean, when I watched it and there was no knee pain and I was using the bands right away. Like, I'm not going to take any chances. I liked how you said the, the facilitators, uh, how'd you say the facilitators, what the facilitation um, techniques, the facilitation techniques. That's great. Um, so I don't want to take any chances because she's already got apprehension on the knee pain and, you know, doing squats or lunges kind of gives her that, that feel the, the pain sense. I feel like, like not even, not the pains even happen, but you just tell by the face. Well, yeah. If you're picking up on that, what that tells me, and it probably told you the same, she's had this problem for a long time. And the word squat is frightening to her. Yeah. So we use the facilitation techniques. And um, like I said, she squatted great. I followed up with the next day, a little bit of inflammation, but nothing terrible. Now I feel like this uh, female loves to work heels we've had this conversations she likes wearing heels a lot and it's funny because as i watch her she's barefoot in the gym and i see those toes coming to that point so i feel like she is a a heel wear all the time and i was talking to her the other day about the old joint by joint approach and how those heels are not very stable for those feet and how other joints in your body have to make up for the lack of stability especially yeah. her knees and then I can only imagine because she was in a gym that a gym in the area here that has the good reputation of, I don't want to say hardcore, but I mean, they use a lot of kettlebells and things like that. And I found the people that do come here from that gym have some pretty good technique. I mean, you know, when you're asking to do like get ups and stuff, they know that a lot of them actually know about kettlebell swings and they're pretty good. So I don't want to, I'm not going to say anything bad about this gym, but I do know that they don't really listen to the clients. That's what I feel like from the clients that come to us. And I can only imagine that this lady's probably crushing some workouts and you know that you should go heavier. You should go heavier. And, you know, after a while, it's like the knee pain starts adding up and they don't have the answer for and she has to take a break. And then I do know she went back to that same gym after a break and, um, you know, break from the gym, not any kind of bone break. And it just wasn't fixing the problem. Like she wanted to, she wanted to get in strength training. She wanted to work out, but it wasn't giving her that necessary, um, what it needed. However, the squatting now, and we're here for like a few reps in an hour, right? So, I mean, we're not going to say, you know, and we have everything balanced out. So we're not redundant in our lower body movement patterns. You know, we're, gonna, we're not going to do squats, back squats and front squats, the barbell, um, I don't know, whatever, air jump squats, air squats, whatever. So she ended up with a little bit of hip problem later on that week. And we just said, listen, we're not going to take any chances. Let's do some other things because you don't have to squat right now. You know, there's some other chinks in the armor that maybe we have to seal up a little bit more that the squats weren't helping with. And so, especially, you know, as a gym um, owner, as a fitness professional, you got to kind of make that sale in a relatively quick period of time. So if you keep hammering, oh, we're just going to keep squatting because it will get better. And I know in the future, if she sticks with us, the squat will improve. But at the moment, I need to give her that kind of strength and get that feeling, that gym effect and be able to make that sale in a few weeks so we can keep on going. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of fun when you think about this, like this is a really exciting industry. For sure. And you know, the fact that we're talking about pain the way we do now, because you know, back in the day, again, if it was pain, you avoided pain. So mm -hmm. I, I thought that that was like really, uh, just mind blowing when you brought up that whole pain factor last time. Well, I think you, you brought up a lot of stuff there. My, my thought is I'm going through that is, if it's kind of a gym that works pretty hard and, and the trainers there are kind of rah-rah, she may not have felt comfortable even telling them she had knee pain in the first place. They may or may not even know. So the fact that she told you and you took the time to brainstorm that communicates to her that you listen. And that probably puts you a notch ahead of the other people right off the bat. And you're going to individualize what she does. The next thing that comes to my mind, if I'm working on someone's squat and we do something, we make the squat better and then their hip hurts, I will just tell you right off the bat, the reason she has a limitation in her squat is because of her core. And so I would just do a bunch of core training 
And, you know, like as an example, and anyone listening to this knows DVRT, I would have her do the most advanced version of the dead bug she can competently do. I would have her do the most advanced version of bridge type things she can competently do. I would have her do the most advanced version of half kneeling lift and chop type things that she can competently do. Just enough of that to fatigue her a little bit, 10, 15 minutes, go right back to the squat, see how it feels. There's a good chance that she has a motor control issue proximally, and that is bothering her knee and or her hip based on the pattern she's in at the time. So don't be surprised if you regress away from her squat to do other stuff that you might get that better. Because if someone's got a painful squat, all we know is they have is a painful squat. And if the pain is in her knee, all we know is that's where she feels it. We don't know where the root of it is, right? We can yeah. bet money that the problem isn't at her knee. It's just felt there. So you brought up a great point about her foot. Um, the arch of her foot is a suspect. The ankle joint is the suspect. Her hip and her core are all suspect. And if she has a problem with the more proximal joint as well, I'm leaning towards her core as your odds on favorite of what you're going to correct. And so working on some things like that, um, you'll quite likely get her moving more comfortably and then she can train to the level she wants because there's no shortage of, of um, energy in this woman or any shortage of motivation, it sounds. It's just, she need the, you just got to get the pain out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, if you can brainstorm your way through that, you've probably got it. But based on what you told me, I'd be looking at some really uh, interesting um, core things for her. So any of your listeners that are familiar with FMS, I really like, I would really, and I'm envisioning this woman, if she were here with me right now, I'd be looking at her segmental rolling patterns uh, and just move on out from there. I, I would, I would be interested in her breathing pattern uh, mm -hmm. and I would go out from there. So those are two super easy, super fundamental things that most people never look at that can relate absolutely back to the pain complaints that she has now. I love talking to you. This is too much fun. <laughs> well, and it's funny, yeah, because we are, we have taken it down to, we're, we're teaching her the hip bridges, right? But for this female, you know, I mean, again, from her past experiences of fitness, learning how to have the intentional hip bridge. So we are taking her through the hip bridge. And after a few rounds, you know, it's almost like, well, how's that working for you? And I just remember her talking about, I'm kind of feeling in my arms a little bit more. And you have to give some of those, more techniques, right? So giving her a few more bands or not a few more bands, but just giving her that intention. And then all of a sudden I saw her eyes just kind of bug out a little bit and she started realizing what this actually was. And that was such a great thing to see cool. because that just means that we took another step in the right direction. You know, that and she's learning a little bit more. There, if you think about where she was living before in a good job, now try harder, do more kind of that picture I'm, I've got painted in my mind of what you're describing, she would never thrive there, mm -hmm. right? Because they're trying to get to her thinking that she's weak. And the way you get through weak is you suck it up, buttercup, and you do more. Well, mm -hmm. I'd venture to guess that this woman may very well be strong, but she's not well controlled. And so you're giving these facilitation techniques to help align motor control. And once that is in play, everything else will work great using a computer analogy. If windows is fouling up, you can't use word, right? Word right. is on the platform of windows. Windows has to operate correctly before you can use word. And they were probably trying to help her out in word and you're getting to windows, right? That's you're a great image. Underlying operating system to work optimally. So then anything that would be built on that operating system, uh, more demanding tasks, she will thrive. I think this lady is going to do great with you. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, I truly believe it as well. And um, I'm just excited for our next chapter because we'll see her get on Thursday. And it's like, it's fun because some of these people that come in, we somewhat have a, a template for new people. You know, it's like, these are the things that we want to start establishing with them because I'm always thinking long-term. So I want to set down that fundamental foundational movement pattern Absolutely. that they can understand as, as they grow. So, you know, the trial membership is actually, hey, this is introduction to what we're going to be accomplishing later on. Um, so when I, and so some people, we just, we don't even have to deviate from the template. So some people just fit in pretty well and, you know, just a few changes here and there. But for some of these people, it's like, okay, we're not going to be able to do this right now. How are we going to manage this around so she could be successful, right? Yeah. Like how, how could she leave feeling, having that gym effect, knowing she had a good session, 
and feeling confident that it's going in the right direction. Yeah. So by gym effect, she wants to leave sweaty, right? Feel like she did Well, something. and I don't want to say sweaty because I don't like that, but just the feeling that, that you challenge. left and you, you did something, you, you know, bet. I mean, I don't want people to like leave and be like, that was it. You know, so <laughs> right. when I say gym effect, yeah, I'm not looking, I'm not aiming for soreness. I'm not aiming for sweaty people. I mean, this happens, but it's not because of necessarily, you know, I don't chase the sweat. You know, people have different ways of cooling down. Some people like I'm not a big sweater. So if I was training me, I'd be like, this guy's not getting much out of this. because I don't see a lot of sweat. Um, and maybe it's because I uh, <laughs> maybe because I slack. I don't know. But um, but I just want them to leave feeling like, holy cow. Yeah, I did something. My body feels good. And yeah, so that's that's the training effect I'm looking yeah, for. I get I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, and that's part of it, because she's coming to a gym after all. She wants to feel like something's happening with her fitness. She doesn't want exactly. to be corrective purgatory. Yeah, I'd imagine that this would be a little different. Like if somebody to come to see you for your specialties as a clinician, physical therapist, they're not looking necessarily for that gym effect. Like, oof, I really had a good session there with Dan. It's more like, yeah, my my name, that body part feels better. Like, I feel yeah. like I've learned something from this. Yeah. And, you know, I have better solutions for my pain or whatever. What the have thing you. is, though, it's funny you say that is they're not looking for the gym effect, but they get it because mm. I want you to feel resilient and I need to have you prepared to be under the loads that you're going to be in doing whatever it is that you do. So I need to get you out of pain, but I also need to get you to be able to handle whatever life throws your way for your activities. And so people work pretty hard in here. <laughs> well, that's great to hear. Now, my question is, are your peers majority, are, are they in that same boat or in category or are they, yeah, they're not looking for that, huh? I, I wish. Um, I've, it, it's, I don't want to sound self-serving, but I've had, Kind of like you, you see a lot of people who've been to other people around town and you find out what they've been up to and like, oh, really? That was your therapy? And, mm -hmm. you know, and by and large, it was a high school kid watching them most of the time, not the professional. And anyway, the, our profession is not without its problems. And so, um, but if you stop and listen, kind of like what you did, I think listening is a really important quality for us to have. Because if you listen carefully enough, they'll tell you what you need to know. Mm -hmm. um, so, but in order to listen, you have to have time. And in the insurance model, they take away your time because the insurance doesn't pay so much. And so you have to see more people to make ends meet. And that means you have less time. So if someone's maybe not really great at getting to the essence of their problem, you tend to cut them off and interrupt. And um, it's just, it's a survival thing going through a day as a PT in a traditional PT clinic. And um, I just stepped away from that. And now I have more than enough time. If somebody wants to take all day to tell me their problem, they'll take all day to tell me their problem. And uh, they're going to feel heard and validated. And um, we'll get to that. But I always expect people to be able to push and pull and hinge and squat and carry. And, um, and I, was, I was joking with the guy before because he had taken up golf recently and then had a problem and had that back surgery. And he, he knew I was a golf guy. He's like, I can't wait to do all this golf stuff for you. And I joke, he said, you have to be a person before you can be an athlete. You have to be yes. an athlete before you're a golfer. Let's make you a functioning human before we think about um, going out on the golf course just yet because he couldn't bend, you know, he couldn't turn, he couldn't touch his toes, he couldn't do a lot of things, couldn't squat. Um, and we cleaned up his squat pattern the very first day. He was thrilled and, and so on down the line. But you know, I'm doing the same thing that you're doing. I'm getting people who don't function optimally to function more optimally. And why they come to my door is pain's usually in their way. Um, I'm sure you're dealing with pain a lot anyway. It's just, um, you know, you're in a fitness environment and I'm in a rehab environment that has a strong fitness influence. Yeah. Oh, that's, I like that. And you're right. I mean, we do get a lot of people that are deconditioned, maybe not with knowing pain. It's always fun. The pain that shows up as we start doing stuff, you know, you do the intake stuff with everybody and asking them about X, Y, and Z. And then you get them on the floor, like, Oh yeah, my shoulder. Yeah. I had a shoulder problem because I got in a car accident. It's like, yeah, yeah. wow, that could have been told to me before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I kind of got off topic with that, but I meant so then when you said, well, Dan, Dan, this, this is what we do in this podcast. We get off topic. So you go ahead and get back on topic. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, that's um, his podcast. So yeah. About when I see people like this guy, who's who the reason he came to see me is he called his doc and said, I don't really feel like I'm meshing with where I am at. I'm going twice a week for eight weeks. I'm not a ton better. And I don't feel like 
I'm being challenged. I don't feel like they're getting to the root of my problem. And the doctor said, well, I, I have a guy, but you're going to have to pay cash for it. And he said, I don't care. I'm just tired of this. Hmm. And so he was the most recent one where he's telling me what he was doing before. I'm like, yeah, I don't think that's useful. We're not going to do that. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? I'm like, I don't think that's useful. <laughs> so um, anyway, we just haven't been doing that. And he goes, man, you're just so different. I'm like, well, <laughs> I, I hope you mean that in a nice way. It sounds like you do. Um, but, you know, I also help teach for PPSC, um, which is John Russin's organization, who's a clinician. And mm -hmm. but most of the people that take the class are not. Um, and you start meeting with people and they'll tell you about the therapists in their town and what they do. And it's like just most PTs just don't really understand training. And uh, it's a shame um, because I think if every physical therapist had to get a at least a one body weight deadlift and maybe do a Turkish get up with something, you know, maybe, you know, a, a quarter of your body weight to graduate, they would learn a whole lot and yeah. open their eyes about things a little differently. And those things where people say kettlebell swings are dangerous, deadlifts are bad for your back, squats are bad for your knees. Those statements would finally go and die. <laughs> Just take them up behind the tool shed. Yeah. Um, and so that's a great point though, because you know, just as the fitness professional talking to the PT guy, um, and I, I always value what you say, Dan. I mean, I love your posts and I just, I really, I find a lot of information what you're saying that that's plausible for the rehab uh, in the clinic, clinic area, but I think it can be applied to in the gym, but they're you're talking about thing. kind of the broken. Yeah. I mean, there is some of that. It, well, there is a lot of that actually that I found out. I see your stuff. You know, Charlie Weingroff, what did he trademark? Training equals rehab, rehab equals training. Like he was the first one to put that's it right, together and publicly right. say that. And it's so spot on. I feel like I quote him every week because if people are like, man, I'm getting a workout. I'm like, yeah, good. <laughs> You're supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> Therapy's not a fluff session. And we, yeah, yeah, I guess maybe we've we we place these stigmas on our ourselves in regards to what you should expect when you're here and what you should expect when you're there. Yeah. But as you're talking about, like, if if the clinician, if the PT knew how to do, like, if you had a standard in regards to exercise before you could graduate from PT school, but you talk about like the broken insurance model. Now, does do you feel like their education is based on that insurance model? So like, you know, here's the information you just need to know as a base level PT. No, I, I don't think... I don't think the payment system influences how you learn, but I think the payment system influences how you practice. Okay. And there's a certain reality of what, like as an example, a PT comes out of school expecting a big salary. Well, I'm sorry, it's a DPT degree, but when you graduate from PT school, you are minimally competent. And anybody thinks otherwise, I'm sorry, it's just true. It's same with me, same with everybody graduates. I mean. If you're more than minimally competent when you graduate, what are you 10 years later, 20 years later, 30 years later, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a clinical instructor. I've seen these kids and or graduates, I should say, come to my clinic. And there are, in all the years I've done this, two, maybe three that I thought were really, really ready. Wow. And everybody else, they're a project. You have to mentor the hell out of these people to where if an important, what I mean by important, because everybody's important, but from a business side of view, important, like if a doctor from my community recommended that his wife come and see me for her back and she ended up with this person as her therapist, would I be comfortable with that? Mm -hmm. That's not the case for three years of lots of mentoring. Yeah. I mean, if I don't invest that into them three years later, they're better than where they were, but they're not where I would be comfortable for that person coming in who would have that level of influence over my future business. No, that's, that's a good point. I mean, and that's just a curious, you know, the curious question about all that stuff in education, because I hear how maybe under-equipped they are um, in regards to what they learn and where we are today. You know, I feel mm -hmm. like I've heard a lot of, they're learning things that are still back in like the eighties and nineties about rehab rehabilitation and isolation and things like this when we that, always that, talk about yeah, the integration yeah. you're great you're exactly right that i think at least from from my exposure to the students that i've been to to the programs that i've been a guest speaker at etc 
understanding exercise is the weak link. And I will tell you the people who I've seen that were outstanding. I think of this um, one young lady who I was supposed to have as my student. And then um, I moved to Arizona and it, it got in the way timing wise um, is outstanding. And the reason she's outstanding in my opinion and others like her that came before her is because she has a training background to start. Mm -hmm. If you have a training background to start and then you go into any medical program, you're going to crush it. Do you know the name Emily Splickle? Uh, no. She's a podiatrist. She's amazing. I think, I don't know this, I have no way of proving this, but I think the reason she's amazing, because there's a lot of podiatrists out there who are not amazing, is because she had a training background prior to going to podiatry school. Hmm. And she's off the charts good with her understanding of the human body above the ankle and how the foot relates to all of that. She's brilliant. Um, and so you, I just think that, and for me personally, the last 20 years probably of my career, I've been more strongly influenced by non-clinicians than by clinicians. It's by you and people like you that are helping me understand movement and exercise so much better. And so I think part of what's made me better and why people seek out my care is because I'm a pretty damn good personal trainer. Yeah. You never hear a physical therapist say that. <laughs> yeah. So I have some additional skills. Yes, uh, you do. You, you got a good wheelhouse. But, uh, but you know, the, the fact that I am competent to train, um, I think that's a big separator. I, and I, I think I have to agree with you because just so the people that I've talked to, the PTs that I kind of elevate as better than the rest tend to be, as you mentioned, they have a training influence in them, whether it was a training background to begin or they become open to training and exercise, like allowing the fitness to kind of be absorbed into their clinician uh, clinical practices. Yeah. I think just being open-minded that you don't have to have letters after your last name to be smart. And you can learn a lot from a lot of people. Um, do you know the story of Pete Egoscue? I do not. Have you ever heard of the Egoscue method? It's his last name. No. <laughs> I apologize, but no, I have it's not. All right. It's um, so Pete Egoscue is a guy with, as far as I recall, no formal background in anything from an, from a formal education point of view, but he was kind of a movement junkie and found it interesting, studied a lot. And some guy named Jack Nicholas got helped out quite a bit from him. And I think he turned out all right. Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, as long as you're willing to learn my, my love you, mom, you'll never hear this, but, um, my mom always told me be a sponge, learn anywhere and everywhere you can. And I feel like that served me, really, really well about 10 years into my career when I started recognizing that the people that I looked up to either weren't clinicians or were clinicians that had a training background. Yeah. And you just keep following those kinds of people and keep learning and growing. And that helps you find more people and you keep learning and growing. And um, to quote somebody I have a lot of respect for, Craig Liebenson, his chiropractor, he said, don't be a know-it-all, be a learn-it-all. And, um, I just keep finding more things to learn. And, and like, as an example, I got Olympic weight training certified for the purpose of helping get better at people being able to reach overhead. Cause that's really important if you're an Olympic lift mm. and also yes, it is. deeper into your squat. So if you're going to ballistically put lots of weight over your head, you got to be able to have a good overhead position and you got to be able to have a good squat. And so that's the reason I took that. And I enjoyed it so much and learned so much. I took a second one, one through USAW, one through a clinical weightlifting coach. So um, there's, just, there's, there's just a never ending amount you can learn about the human body movement and exercise from non-clinical people. And I think that's what we as physical therapists need to be better at doing is recognizing how much more we can learn from people outside the medical model. I like that. So here's my, I thinking about all this stuff you talk about being a pretty darn good personal trainer and all this. So Dan gets set up, Dan Swinsco gets set up and he's ready to do his own personal training, his own session for himself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like what drives you to choose what you do in your session? Like, do you have it laid out as a plan or is it just, you show up one day and you're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. You know, that that's kind of funny. You should ask that because right now I'm a mishmash. Generally speaking right now, I don't have a specific training goal. So if I have a training goal, I'll have a training plan. Mm -hmm. And so I'll be doing things pretty specifically. 
Um, I've read um, a lot of books on like wave periodization and things like that, influenced by Pavel and kind of the strong first world. I think those people are very, very smart. Um, Mike Hartle in particular from a barbell point of view. Um, so, so I would have that. Right now I have no goals. So it means, you know, failing to plan is planning to fail. <laughs> Mm -hmm. so yes. I, um, what I do now then is I just put all the fundamental movements in every workout. Cause I don't have, I don't know what day I'm going to work out by and large. It's not like I have my training days nailed down. So I'm, um, generally speaking Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I never miss cause my schedule makes it easy. Anything in between Monday through Thursday, if I can fit it in, I will. So usually for me, Monday through Thursday would be something quick. So mm -hmm. understanding, you know, ultimate sandbag training being able to do some, a few things with that and to be able to put them together to clean uh, and press or to clean and lunge and press or to clean and Lord knows what, um, you know, it, you can get a lot done in a short window of time or same thing with kettlebells. Um, I just made a post the other day about Dan John's ABCs, you know, the armor building complex, which is a couple of cleans, a double uh, bell over, these are double bell movements. So a double bell clean, double bell press and double bell front squat. You do two cleans, one press, three squats. And that's one. And you kind of do that. One of those sort of like on the minute, every minute, or give yourself a minute rest or whenever you feel ready, go again, however you decide to dose it. Um, but I can do that for 10 minutes and get in a nice workout as an example. So is it hundred percent complete? No, but that's kind of my Monday through Thursday idea, something short, sweet and do the point in the mindset that is better than nothing. Um, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday where I have time, then I choose a hinge. I choose a squat. I choose a pull. I choose a press. I usually choose a carry. I usually do something rotation or anti-rotation and by and large, I blend them together. So um, that's kind of my training at this moment. Cause I really don't have a goal. I think that's a great like base though, for anybody that wants to do a, a training program, because I'll be honest, like I, I don't really follow, like I have no specific goal myself, except I just know that I want to train X amount of days a week. And I want to make sure that I get the most out of that, that we just, put together the movement patterns you know mm -hmm. we look at okay we're gonna squat so what's our squat choice for today you know what's our our lunge and based on our time protocols so some squats are gonna work better than others for different time protocols mm -hmm. but how can we maximize our efforts using those movement patterns and you know i don't know how long your sessions last uh friday through sunday but you know when you really pack that all in it doesn't take the the hours that at once, you know, once you dedicate to this isolation training, mm -hmm. the bodybuilding stuff, it's actually a, still a pretty quick uh, go around that you still have a little time afterwards to maybe, you know, have a little finisher or something like that, or just work on a few other moves. Absolutely. Or just go on and do something else, you know, check the box, move on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it, you can get a good workout in a short period of time if you know what you're doing. So yeah. I always try to remind people that, you know, that's, which is kind of my Monday through Thursday thought that, you know, okay, it, it almost takes more time to change clothes than it does to do the workout, you know? Um, so I'm not going to be super sweaty when I'm done. I don't need a shower when I'm done. Um, but I just did something enough to tax me that my body knows I did something, but I just did it in that little window of time because it was in a little, like, I might just do Turkish get-ups as an example. So <laughs> well, I would say just, I mean, yeah, that's pretty huge. Yeah. So you're getting a lot there. I love Turkish getups, the gift to keep on giving. Right. So, Absolutely. um, I can do a lot with a Turkish getup or to me, I, I think they're just joined at the hip. If I do a Turkish getup, I almost always do a windmill. So do a Turkish getup, windmill, Turkish, get back down, change size, Turkish, get up, windmill, Turkish, get back down, switch sides. And I might do a little ladder with different weights of bells, depending on feeling that day or whatever. Um, but it might be something as simple as that. It's better than nothing. It's not super complete. It's not a world beater, but it's a useful thing cumulatively for my training effect over the course of a week, cumulatively for my training effect over the course of a year. And if I never get any of those middle of the week things, the weekends feel different than if I do. It's just, it's just a really nice thing to sneak in that little extra one. And I would have to imagine though, like with your profession too, seeing like, as you're talking about now being kind of you're the PT, but you're also the personal trainer. Like you, your day must have some good amount of movement to it as well, coaching people and taking them yeah. through. So it's not like Dan's just sitting at a desk and typing out what people's exercises should be. Right. You know, I, I always, when I talk to people about sitting and trying to get up, get them up more, I say, you know, the reality is I don't have a particularly sedentary job. I still sit too much. And so, you know, I get a little snippet here when I show, you know, demonstrate an exercise to somebody, you know, I get in a little here and a little there. Um, I'm not sure if that counts for 
fitness, it definitely counts for movement, right? So yes, at least I'm not yes. holding still. And I'm, you know, if I'm showing somebody something overhead or in a squat or whatever it might be, at least I'm getting those, those movements in. And that's been a real blessing as far as a, what's the right word, an, an added bonus, I guess, for my job. Um, well, and I just think about, you know, yes, I totally agree with you. Blessing. And when I come in some days where I've had like kind of an intense session, my body's a little bit stiff and sore. It is good to get up right away and just start showing clients, you know, at 7am or 6am, whatever, like, here's your movement. Mm -hmm. And you just start working it out a little bit that the soreness goes away. And yeah, I wouldn't, you know, I don't, I don't ever talk to like the fact like, oh, I trained people for three hours today. And because we're not doing like the old school fitness where I'm actually participating in the class and, you know, everybody's following me. Right. You're not, I show, You're teaching. no, I'm the one rep King. I, you know, maybe two at times. Like, so right. I show you a couple of reps, I move on, but that's, that's good movement for me. Like it accumulates throughout the day. I don't yeah. consider that my fitness. I don't say, Hey, I train people for three hours today. So I'm, I'm good. Right. Um, but it is just a nice thing to keep doing because it does like, I'm, I'm grateful. And I think even more grateful as I'm glad that I have a physical job. Now I do sit more uh, because I have more staff and I do a little bit more of the working on the business and not yes. so much in the business, yes. but I always, I always, I have to stay in the business because I love coaching and I love learning on the floor. When you're talking to people, I mean, I learned stuff from clients and that's when my brain starts going too. Is like when we come up with these solutions, like that makes sense. Um, but I love having a physical job. That's not repetitive. You Never know, born. so I'm not exact. Well, in meaning yeah. like body wise too, is I'm not over repetitively moving in one direction all the time right. that, yeah. So it keeps the things going uh, brain wise, but I I'm a pretty balanced individual because of all the stuff that we do. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is like, so I've got a couple of things that I know are not optimal. So if I have to show somebody an exercise, I show them on my side that needs work. Right. Ooh, I like that. Absolutely. So it doesn't, uh, so there's a secret for anybody who, if I show you something, you know, that if I give you a side, it's usually not random what I'm showing you. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I need to show them. It doesn't say I have to use my right leg or left leg or right arm or left arm. So I always use the, the side that needs the work as the one to demo. And then also if I fail, they can see that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I own now them like, see how that was hard for me. See how I wiggled or see how I didn't hold my belt line level or see this or see that. Um, this is hard for me too. And this is when I work on. Um, so I think that really helps because I think people a lot of times think that because we're movement professionals, they have us on this movement pedestal, like, oh, well, you don't get tired. You don't hurt. You don't have problems. Like, oh, oh yeah, you bet? <laughs> pull out your, well, I'll show you mine. That's funny because like when I, when I happen to have a, a glitch in my movement that when I'm showing a client something, I always just like followed up with, I showed you what not to do. You know, like, <laughs> yep. That was a bad rep. Let's see if I can like get a good this in that way. And sometimes I always say to the fact of like, the second rep's always better, you know? <laughs> so if I, if I miss the first rep for whatever reason, I get back up, I do the second rep. I'm like, see, like, don't. And that, I guess that kind of leads me to that point too, is that if somebody, I don't want to say fails, but if they don't do as well as they thought they should on the first rep, sometimes like, oh, maybe I need to go down and wait. Maybe I need to sneak in closer to the anchor of the band or something like that. And I say, no, no, no. That right there was that learning moment. You're going to be able to get this, but now your body wasn't ready. Yeah. So now that you're ready for that second opportunity, let's do all the things. You got it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing to me how often a lot of times people are, are so okay with a weight that's too small. Yeah. And the fact that I grab a bigger one, they're like, you serious? I'm like, yeah, you did the other one. Like it was fine. Yeah, but it was heavy. I said, yeah, but I couldn't even tell that it was heavy for you because I'm watching you. You're smiling. You don't even look like you're serious. <laughs> yeah. right? Right. It's like, if it's heavy for you, your body language will somehow look like you're focusing and trying a little bit. So just try this one. I think you're going to be fine. And they're fine, right? Well, how many times too, when you increase the load, it gives them that additional feedback. Often, yes. That sure. all of a sudden now, it's like they were able to kind of go through the motion and maybe muscle up whatever whatever you're doing but they were they weren't able to they, were, they didn't have to be intent it's like oh i could do this because it's not too much but all of a sudden you give them a little heavier kettlebell sandbag what have you the focus comes in and then i always talk about the gym phase right all of a sudden it's like because i tell it's funny i i do this because we have fun here but i'm like you know you could smile when you do this like, i'm focused <laughs> and i'm like i know you are keep it going <laughs> 
I'm not smiling because I'm so focused and I'm like, yes. Right. And there's, there's a lot. Of, I always tell people too. It's like, I don't want to walk in front of you because I fearful that you have laser beams that are about to shoot out of your eyes the way your face is right now. So it's that's a great, it, that's what I want to see. And then I know I got to wait. That's challenging that I use the term meaningful that way it's meaningful to you. Yes. And, uh, I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm taking a lot of these things, Dan. I'm, gonna make them, <laughs> I, I'm adopting them to the FLD language. I, I really love that term. And, and I always tell them with that with the, the get up. So they're doing a get up and, particularly if it's new to them, which for most people it is, they don't want to use a weight. And like, I just kind of just show me the first two moves and I'll be able to tell you if that weight's meaningful to you or not. And then I just I'll often get a heavier bell than what they want to. And, and I say, well, it just needs to be meaningful for you because if it's light enough that you're so strong, you can put the bell wherever you like it with no consequence. I need gravity to teach you better than my words can. And you're strong yeah. enough that I could give you this 10 pounder. You can put it literally anywhere with no problem. I'm going to use this 18 pounder where all of a sudden now, if it starts to go a little askew, you sense that you fix that and you do it in real time without me saying a word. Ah, uh, I say it's just like, I said in the beginning, I'm going to say it right now, I love talking to you. It's just like, <laughs> I get jazzed by hearing this stuff because it's just, it's exactly what we should be talking about in the we industry. We need to teach a class together. Oh, I don't think that class, it would explode. hundred <laughs> percent. It would just like, <laughs> and talk, I don't know, maybe if we taught energy, <laughs> I feel like if we taught a class together, I'd be in the corner taking notes, listening to Dan. That's where I would be. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it might be the other way around, brother. Yeah, uh, we'll 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 take team in and out. Um, but yeah, it's just like, and I think as a fitness professional, sometimes we're a little, and maybe it's inexperience for some people, but we are a little quick to you know go down and wait, or you know really start yeah, with the lighter load answer. But I don't think it's the best answer most of the time. Mm -mm. I actually did a post on this maybe about a month ago talking about you know oh it hurts what should I do decrease the weight no. Not to say that that's not an answer, but that's, I don't want to use, I'm going to use the word cop out. It's kind of a cop out. Like, uh, absolutely. I don't, need, I don't need professional training to know that if it hurts to lift 20 pounds, try 15, 10, 12, you know, whatever. How about we create a facilitation technique? How if I have you, when you're pressing that weight overhead that hurts with one hand, you're pulling with the other. What if I put a band at your feet? What if I tell you to think about pushing yourself away from the weight? Or what if, what if, like, I have ways, I have, I have ninja mind tricks giving you something to think about. I've got physical things that I can push and pull against you. There's a lot of things that we could do to make that exact same weight go from painful to pain-free or from mm -hmm. stuck to moving. We just got to try them. Absolutely. If we, we don't, we miss the magic if our first response is just, well, let make the weight lighter then. It's like, don't you want a training response? <laughs> and, yeah, hundred percent. Like the person is coming here asking for change. They're not seeing you because they don't want to be stronger. They don't want to be thinner. They don't want to be moving better. They don't come to me because they want, you know, the exact same amount of pain. People want a change. They're paying for that. Mm -hmm. Well, if you give them a smaller weight, you're missing out. I mean, that's still sometimes is the answer because it might just be more too much load. But that's sometimes, but I, I think, yeah, I think that is seldom. I think that's a rare instance. For sure. Um, and, you know, cause it's just always, I'll get this in the gym sometimes like, well, let me try a lighter weight so I can, I get the form right. <laughs> and I talk about, I talk about correct form, but I'm like, I don't want correct form. And then I get this like double take. <laughs> I tell them, I want almost like you're meaningful. I want intentional form because if you're doing something correct, you might not have the intention. I might see you and be like, well, that's pretty good form, but it doesn't actually tell me that you have the meaning and the intent behind it. But if you put yourself in the meeting and intent, that form, it's impeccable. It happens. Right. And I would say if your form is flawless, you could probably handle more load. I don't want you unsafe. I want you good enough. Oh, but it just reminds me of a, a, a saying that I heard recently. And I, I'm trying to put it in different places because I love it. Don't be careful. Be competent. You know, so if your form is good enough, like yeah. you don't have to worry about being careful about that. If you're doing a get up, don't be careful. Be competent. And I, I think that that is just, I love that saying. I'm just like, I wrote that down. This is maybe a shirt, but. <laughs> well, that's kind of like, you know, the, the training effect where we're going to make the biggest difference to people is having them do the hardest thing that they do well. Ooh, yes. And so that means competent form mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. no pain. Mm -hmm. And if I've got you doing the hardest thing you can do well, we're in that sweet spot. We found right where we want to be and you're going to improve. I've given you the stimulus for change. And I think, you know, I don't play golf as well, but when you're in that sweet spot, that's just like hitting a 300 yard drive. 
like right down the fairway. Like when I'm in that mode, you know, that feeling It's just like when you, when all systems are going and that person is just rocking out the weight that's just made for them. And they're in that point where it's like, yeah, it's the hardest thing that they could do well. Oh, it's just, it's such a great feeling. <laughs> a 300 yard drive is always a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can't, I mean, I usually, I maybe a hundred yards, um, line drive. <laughs> I'm always pretty proud though. My, my drives tend to be straight on the fairway, just not very far. Well, at least you're there. You can find the ball for your second shot, which is important too. <laughs> and I try to be very humble. I, I, I usually take my, um, especially the first drive, I go down to maybe like a, a three iron. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to, cause I just know I don't golf enough that if I have wood in my hand, I'm going to do the baseball move. So it's like, you know what? Let's just kind of lay it up right away. Let's just get into the history? rhythm. No, not at all. But I mean, uh, I, what I was going to tell you is that the thing about golf and baseball is to hit a baseball square on the barrel. You would do in golf, what creates a slice to hit a golf shot square on the face. You have to do in baseball. What feels like you're rolling over to shortstop. And that's terrible. Right. So, yeah. so in that you want to just, that's the mindset. So when you said baseball, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Well, and I will share with you quickly, we're going to be getting done here soon, but I do have a baseball history. I, I did little league, right. And couldn't find a position to be in the field where I felt comfortable or, you know, and as a young little leaguer, I was not very athletic anyway. So my stepdad at the time said, well, let's do some batting practice. So, you know, we go and he sets up the machine, right? And it's like, I go to get lined up. I'm waiting for the ball to come right down the middle because I figured that's what the machine does. Mm -hmm. However, he didn't set it up all the way right. And it was kind of angled. And so I'm just sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden the ball starts coming. I just remember seeing, I'm like, all right, it's just gonna come down the middle. I'm going to swing. I'm getting my timing down. And it's like, is that ball really coming at me? <laughs> and I get beamed by the batting machine, you know, the pitching machine. <laughs> So it's like after that, I just kind of, I'm like no more baseball for me. I just, uh, you're it's a fun sport. Coaching days when the, when the kids got old enough that the kids pitched our very first day of practice, we had every kid stand in and we hit them on purpose. Mm. <laughs> it's real hard, but like, this is going to happen because throwing strikes is hard. So yes. boom, boom, boom. We turned them, how to, we taught them how to turn away, how to hide the bat, how to hide <laughs> under your helmet. And so take your walk. This is going to happen a lot this year, but um, it's, there's a certain skill to learning how to protect yourself when you get hit by a pitch. And so That's we knew good, if the yes. kids were pitching, there's going to be a lot of hit by pitches. And so we had them prepared. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to do like kind of a waiver with the parents beforehand? Like, Hey, we're going to purposely no, be your kid. No, we just did it. But uh, it was fun. The kids, the kids <laughs> understood. We started with tennis balls and we, we got to regular baseballs after that. But, there you go. but the idea is that you have to learn to hide the bat because you don't want to give a pitcher a cheap strike because it would be a foul ball, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So you got to learn to hide the bat. You got to learn how to use your helmet, turn your back, and it doesn't hurt so bad. One more story, and then I got three questions for you, then we'll get going. All right, let's go. I hear the tennis ball, baseball thing. My high school, I had a, um, a biology teacher, and we went into the classroom, and one kid was pretty notorious for falling asleep. And so he fell asleep and the, the teacher actually beamed him with the tennis ball, right? To wake him up. And the next day we went into class, the teacher's outside the door with a baseball, throwing it up in the air and catching it. <laughs> I like kid, it. The kid didn't fall asleep. Yeah, but not. We had a teacher that threw erasers at us. So he flashed me back to that. Yeah. Okay. So I got three questions. So since the yeah. last time that you were on the podcast, um, got, you know, three questions that I think kind of encompass dance when school. Okay. Um, first question, pretty easy, right off the bat. What's your last meal on earth? If you could plan it. Ooh, good grief. I guess if I know it's my last one, I don't think I'd care that much. It's probably more of who's with me sharing it, but um, <laughs> I don't know. That's an interesting question. I never give that a thought. It, anything, I guess probably just, I can eat tacos till I want to explode. So I guess tacos. Oh, maybe tacos <laughs> will be the reason why you, that's yeah, your last you meal on earth. Great tacos. Um, all right. It, second question. Let's say you never got into the industry that you're in right now, right? Blue sky. You can do whatever you want to do. What would you end up doing? Great question. So are you putting me back into the, uh, Dan at college age where PT school never found its way and you have to do something else. Blue sky, man. I mean, anything well, you ever wanted to do back, back in the day, I think I was going to go into broadcasting. Um, 
I really enjoyed that. I don't, I might've done that. I really enjoyed writing. I might've gone that route. Um, now I think I would, if I wasn't actually treating patients, um, might do some sort of business consulting or something like that to help people formulate their practice in a way that they can work in a way that they can be profitable, but also represent themselves in the profession in a way they can be proud of. Oh, helping others. I like that. When you say writing, are you talking about being a novelist or something like that? No, not that kind. Well, I maybe, but I, I enjoy writing. So Okay. Yeah. All right. Last question. Depends um, on what you pay me for, right? I have to find a job somewhere. <laughs> Usually writers, they have to work at a few jobs while they're writing before they become right. known. So last question. I've kind of come to believe that people tend to be in two different categories, one of two categories, um, agony defeat or the thrill of victory. Now, let me just explain quickly because nobody, it's not like everybody just wants to lose, right? But the agony to defeat, it's all about motivation, right? Like you could have a win, but it lasts like a second because you're always, you're thinking about the losses that you have. So you never want to repeat those losses. So you're motivated not to lose again. You wear every loss like a backpack. It just weighs you down and you're motivated that way. The thrill of victory person, the eternal optimist, right? So you're motivated by that next win. I mean, you're climbing up that hill, no matter what happens, you're always looking for that next win. Dan Swinscoe, two options. Which one do you feel you're at? You a uh, thrill of victory or are you an agony defeat more kind of guy? I'm thrill of victory guy. I felt that, I feel that from you. Sometimes you can really guess, but. Yeah, I mean, losses are great teachers, right? Mm -hmm. If they're not, it's a waste. But, um, you know, the reason you're competing is to win. The reason you're climbing the mountain is to get to the top. My wife would say we're there because the great view. I'm like, yeah, but I want to see the top. I want to get <laughs> to the top. It's not like I want to hike three quarters of this trail and then turn around and go down. Yes. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, the end goal, the, the victory part probably motivates me more, but uh, you got to take something in a loss. Otherwise, it's a waste. Yeah, well, hey, I mean, that's it. It's, it's not a tell all. It's not like... I think everybody has a little blend of it, but you're a majority of something else. So Dan, I, and you notice I've said your name a few times because the last time I butchered it. So I, and Swinsco sounds such like, it just rolls off the tongue. I'm gonna be honest with you. Um, I, I have to thank you once again for taking the time and joining me on the Fitness Line Down podcast. Happy to do it. And I hope sometime you and I can have a lot of tacos together. Uh, that would be great. A couple of years <laughs> go with them. Uh, the Ulster bases. All right. You have a wonderful time, and I will look forward to having another conversation with you, possibly in the 2023. All right. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Yes. And for all our friends out there, until the next time that we talk, Godspeed. <laughs>